You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church. My name is Luke. I save on production here and in our young adults ministry. Today, we'll be reading from Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Was anaplastic oligodendroglioma who grade three. That's what came out of his mouth. All I remember about the day is it was really, really, really cold. Uh, So I grabbed my jacket. Lauren had to drive. I'd only been out of neuro rehab for uh, maybe a week. Uh, And we got in the car and drove and sat. We had to navigate Baylor downtown. Don't know if you've ever been there or not, but not laid out well for someone with my aptitude or someone my aptitude without a right frontal lobe. And so we navigated space. We found ourselves in an office, me, Lauren, and Brian Miller. Um, and, and there it was again, anaplastic oligodendroglioma, who grade three. Now, you, you, you might not know what that means. I, I certainly didn't know what that meant. And so he began to explain terminal brain cancer. He then began to lay out what the treatment protocol would be, that we were going to very quickly start radiation and low-dose chemo. As soon as that was over, they would give me a bit of a month to recover, and then we would start 18 to 24 months of high-dose chemotherapy with the hope that I would live two to three years. To say that things went dark in that meeting is understated. If you think about the logistics of a moment like that, like you, you've got to inform some people. Like I, I've got to call my parents. I need to call my in-laws. We need to, let, like there was you, like, like how do we let the, the church know in this moment? And I found myself for the first time in my life unable to talk. Can you imagine me? unable to talk. And I, I couldn't, I don't know if you've ever been there. Like I would, I called Josh Patterson. He knew, he knew what we were going in for. He knew, and I couldn't, I couldn't say it. Um, and so just so you can understand the dynamics of my marriage, I handed the phone to Lauren. Sweet Lauren, steely, sometimes terrifying started to unpack what she had heard to Josh and then made the next call, tried to get my, I just, I just couldn't do, I couldn't, handed the phone to Lauren and so it went. I didn't need to call him back to the church. Brian Miller was with me for those reasons. Uh, he was an elder here, chairman of the elder board for a long time, one of my closest friends and uh, what a gift to God he was for both of us in those days. And then, man, I don't, I'm not gonna pretty this thing up. I couldn't see anything but loss 
for weeks. Audrey was six. Reed was four. Sweet Nora back there, six months old. She was going to have no memory of me. She's going to look at her daddy on YouTube clips, hear stories by her mama, some other jerk, dirtbag man living in my house. <laughs> like, y'all seen Lauren? Somebody's going to snatch that up. I mean, like, like, oh, no. So I, like, and you're giggling. I mean, you can laugh at that. I wasn't laughing at it. It hurt. And I couldn't see anything but loss. And I had spent six years trying to get our congregation ready to suffer. If you remember in those early years, we were all in our 20s. Like everybody was, like there were, it was all weddings, no funerals. And, and then when we did have funerals, it wasn't anybody that was 70 and lived a great life. I think I'd been here a decade before I did the funeral of a 70-year-old. It was 28-year-olds. It was 32-year-olds. It was cancer. It was children. It was awful. And so I just poured my energy into how do I prepare us to suffer? Let me point to it in the Bible. Let me try to teach what God is doing in it. And, and I was just so dumb that I wasn't reading it for me. And so he, the only way I knew to survive was to put on headphones, listen to worship, and pull back. Because everywhere I looked broke my heart. And it was in one of those moments that Lauren... Um, in the unique way that, that she does, kind of cornered me and said, it, it's not, you're not going out like this. So you take those headphones off, you need to re-engage, and, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. And around that same time, which that's a, that was a big wake-up call for me, around that same time, um, I, I had this single verse pop into my head. I don't know, it's just the, how the Holy Spirit like works a lot, right? Just a, a single verse pop up in my head. And I, I didn't love the verse, I just knew it. And it was found in Romans 8, and it's not all things work together. I could strangle the people that were saying that verse to me. Like, it's really easy, and it's true. It's such a true verse, and I so understand the heart of people that want to help. It just, it was landing flat on me at that time. I, I love Romans 8. I think it's the Mount Everest of passages. But it, it wasn't 28, it, it was 18, and here was the verse. The verse was the Apostle Paul who suffered immensely, saying, I do not consider the sufferings of this world as worthy to compare to future glories. And in that moment, in the grace of God, he, he kind of picked, he like grabbed my face. And again, I don't know if you've been here. He, he like grabbed and he like picked up my face because man, I had some gnarly prayers, man. I felt betrayed. You ever feel betrayed by the Lord? I mean, I've been serving him. My, I mean, I just sacrificed so much. Like me, you give me cancer? You let me go through? I mean, just wicked, nasty prayers. It was one of the ways he kind of wrung it out of me, let me see it so I could repent of it. One of the many good things that came out of a really awful situation. And he, he like, despite all of that, he like, like he just picked up my face. And he let me stop looking at me for a bit. And he started to orient me around future hope in a way that empowered me for a really painful present. I'm going to say that sentence again because every word I labored over this week. He began to orient me around a future hope that strengthened me in a really painful present. 
And from that moment on, nothing got easier. It wasn't like magically, oh, a future glory, never mind. I still saw loss. I, I just so argued and wrestled with the Lord. I want to walk my girls down the aisle. I want to help Reed become a man. I don't want to give that to anybody else. I don't want anybody else to have that. I want that. Give me that, please. And if you don't, God, you're going to have to strengthen me. I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be. I'd, so it's not like it got easier. It just began to reorient me. It just began to reorient me. And, I, and I've learned from that and since that, that the Lord has given us a picture of the future to orient us around the victory that's already ours and in a conclusion of all things that's unshakable and will not be moved. And I'm setting up today with that because tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a country. Most of us will not have to work, although some of us I know will, but most of us will be given the day off. And, and if there's a poison in the culture right now. It has almost everything to do around ethnicity and around how to handle this subject and how should the church think about it and interact with it. And there's all sorts of like trigger words that fly around everywhere on both sides that are insidious and demonic and have nothing to do with the book. And so the passage that we're in today in Revelation, it's yet again the king of glory like grabbing our whatever color our face is and he's lifting it up, and he's like, Here, here's how it ends, and I know you're in a painful spot right now, but you were made for this day, and, and I made this day, and I made you for this day, and here's how it ends, and if you'll orient your lives around this future hope, then you can play your part well, no matter how messy it is. There's fascinating things going on in this passage, and here, look at me. Don't think I don't know. Some of us are already really nervous. You're like, oh my gosh, you're going to offend somebody. Maybe. Yeah, thank you. I, listen, it's going, to be, it's going to be the book, not me. I, I'm just going to read it. So in this passage in Revelation, which I think is a, I mean, it, it just is a crushing blow to some of the nonsense of our day. Um, he uses the word nations twice. And, and, and I don't know uh, how much you read the Bible or how often you're in the Bible, but the nations are a major theme in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. It's the nations, the nations, the nations, the nations. And because you and I live in 2023, we hear nation state. We think France. Well, I know where. We think Texas, right? Nation state. It's our own government, our own borders, nation state. But the Bible's not using the word nations like nation states. The word nation almost always in the scriptures is the word ethnos. Do you hear it? Ethnicity, people groups. That matters in this subject. That matters when you talk about global missions. Ethnos. And we see two places in this passage, the word nations in verse 24 and in verse 26, the kings of the nations, the, uh, the, the prizes or the treasures of the nations. You see that. And the nations become this huge theme that gets twisted by the people of God as they begin to believe that they, their ethnicity, their people group are the apex and that everybody else 
is secondary to who they are. And they'd been given the covenants, they'd been given the promises, they'd been told by God that they were a treasured people, and yet they forgot that at the institution of that, God said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They bring in others into the presence of God. And somehow all of that got lost for the first century Jews. They hated the Gentiles, and few like they hated the Samaritans. And again, just a, a quick flyby of the Old Testament. Um, when, um, let, me, let me make sure I get my facts right. When the Assyrians overthrew Israel, all right, at that point in history, it wasn't Jerusalem that was their capital. It was Samaria. And they drained Samaria, the capital, of almost all the Jews and took them into exile. And they backfilled it with foreigners. And the Jews that stayed intermarried with the foreigners and had children that the Jews considered now defiled half-breeds. And they despised them. They saw them as selling out to Yahweh. So when the Jews come back, they come and try to rebuild the temple. And the Samaritans, man, they consider themselves Jews. They want to help. This is their God. This is their... So they come to help, and the Jews refuse. And so as does happen, animosity breeds animosity. So then the Samaritans are like, well, if you're not gonna let us help, we're gonna stop you from doing it. And a fight breaks out, and the Samaritans lose. And at the loss, the Samaritans go to another mountain nearby and build another temple. And this is the kind of hostility that Jesus is born into. They hate each other. The Jews pray that God will not hear the prayers of the Samaritans nor forgive them. Can you get your head around? Can you fathom? Like out loud, that ain't like in their closet prayer. That like the, in the synagogue, let's stand and do this responsive reading against the Samaritans. And maybe, just maybe, that'll help you understand why Jesus was such a controversial character. Like, because Jesus is always, the Samaritan's always the good guy in Jesus's parables. Now, my guess is without that background, you don't think much about that. But I'm telling you, John 4, woman at the well, Samaritan woman, promiscuous, unclean by every standard of God's chosen people is the first one in the Bible to learn that Jesus is the Messiah. A Samaritan? What? He tells the story of the lepers that were healed. Do you remember which one came back and gave him glory? The Samaritan one. Jesus reminds them that in Elijah's day, there were many widows in Israel, and yet it was the one outside of Israel that God blessed with supernatural flour and oil. Good Samaritan, anyway. Who are the bad guys in the Good Samaritan story? Like, this is why, like, everybody makes Jesus kind of this feathered hair, glowing face. Like, you teaching that to a mob? I mean, he presses. He, he's trying to fix their thinking He's trying to engage the brokenness of their understanding as it relates to what God is up to among the nations. And then Paul, to help us all, lists it out clearly. This is Ephesians 2. I'm going to start in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me, let me stop there for a second. That's us. We were the far off. You, you tracking with me? We, we were the far off. See, look, I don't know if you know. We're Gentiles. 
We're the far. We, the covenants were not given to us until Christ. The promises were not ours until Christ. We were outside until Christ brought us in. And so here's the passage. You were far off, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why? For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing Hostility. So, so you have two things happening here. He's saying that in Christ, the wall of hostility is torn down. Why? One, because it's no longer ordinances that make you right and clean. It's the blood of Christ that makes you right and clean. The wall of hostility is torn down. This is, and this is why I love scripture. There was literally a wall, right? Like there's a real wall. In the synagogue, a wall that separated Jews from Gentiles. There was a Gentile court, and archaeologists have found signs that say if a Gentile crossed that, it crossed that threshold, that he could be murdered for that. It was the law in that day that a Jew couldn't go into the house of a Gentile. This is hostility, and the coming of Jesus and his blood tears down the wall. And because, in so doing, he creates one new man. Now, now, I love this. There's a little game going on in the Greek here. He, he, he's saying that he creates one brand new man, like never done before. Like something miraculous has just happened. And, and let's, I want to talk some about what that is. We've got to look back at verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might, so he abolished that, he fulfills the moral law, but he abolishes, like you can, hey, enjoy that bacon sandwich, man. Eat that ham, that, that's over. You don't have to be circumcised to be the people of God. Like that's not, that's been abolished in his coming. And the moral law has been fulfilled by his righteousness and imputed to us who trust by faith in that grace that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off, that's us, and peace to those who were near, that's to the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple to the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a celebration of sameness, not a highlighting of differences. What is, what is this one new man that he's created? Well, this one new man is the man or woman purchased by the blood of Jesus in full surrender to his lordship, who sees now the kingdom of God as their primary identity and all other markers as secondary, not unimportant, but secondary. And, and so here's the thrust. You ready? You and me might have a lot of differences, but we have far more in common. Like when I look at you, if you're a Christian, when I look at you, I'm going, same. 
Because you know what's most true about you and me? We were sinners, far from God's grace. You know what's also true about you and me? We were ransomed and rescued by that grace. So we might, you might have a different background than I have. We might have different stories. Our experience in life might be very different. And yet what Christ has done in pulling you out of that background and pulling me out of my background is creating one new man that shares the same foundation, which means I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So have you. That moves me towards you. Oh my God, I stuck there myself. I get to move towards you because I'm the same as you. I get to move towards you because like you, I didn't see well. Like you, I had some broken ways of understanding. Like you, I needed to be redeemed. And by his grace alone, he did it. And that makes me and you, it makes me a brother or a brother or sister. Like it creates a family that's growing, present action, ongoing. It's growing. And gosh, it grows slow. Man, it grows slow. Now, Let's get back to Revelation, all right? All that was just intro. I'm just kidding. Now, I just want to highlight this one verse because I think it's so powerful and it just changed the game if the Holy Spirit let it click. In Revelation 21, verse 24, by its light, and the argument is the light of the... So here's here's a good way to think about um, the future. It's not you on a cloud with wings playing a harp. It is a remade new heaven and new earth that's physical and present and laid on top of all the brokenness that we see right now. And the Bible's saying that in that space, in that day, that there's no temple and no need for the sun because the Lord our God will be in our midst. What this is, now this should like blow your circuits, Christian that you and I are pulled into the life of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the, this constant love and praise that's so profound that out of the overflow of it, the universe bursts into existence. It is perfect and pure and beautiful and right and amazing, and we dwell in it. Like we move into it. We're not outside. Like right now, we're, we're like outside. We're looking, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we're not in the dance. We're being sanctified. On this day, we're pulled in. No longer faith, sight, like we're in it. And and he says that in this place, by its light, will the ethnos walk. And listen to this. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Gosh, okay. Here's our future. God loves differences that matter. He, he, diversity is his idea, and I'm not talking about how it's been hijacked by some nonsense. I, I'm saying that God's glory, beauty, goodness, strength cannot be held by any given culture, and so the Father sprinkled it out. And in each culture under the sun, there's something good, right, and beautiful to be celebrated by all. And what you see in this passage is the kings bringing their treasures into the presence of God for the good of the nations. So maybe, like, let me go back ancient Near East. And I think the best way to explain this for someone my age to to the diversity of ages is the, the movie Aladdin. Prince Ali, mighty is he? 
You remember that part? I know some of you, that's an earworm. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to get that out later. But, but Prince Ali, he wants to win Princess Jasmine. Like he, he, yes, but her daddy's a sultan. And so what you see in that kind of nonsensical, Prince Ali, mighty is he, and, and this long list of all the things that he brings. Do you remember the song? I'm not gonna play it, I'm not gonna sing it, but, but there's this huge list, and they're tapping into ancient Near East kind of ritual where if a king is coming to present themselves in front of another king, they bring the best that their culture has to offer, the best food, the most exotic animals, the most beautiful clothes, the precious metals, all that's good, they bring it in front of that king to show the beauty of their culture. Well, that's what's happening. Like there's something good and right and beautiful in the various ethnic groups and cultures of our day. And on this day, our future is that each one brings their treasures into the presence of God for the good of all the nations for eternity. There is something good, right, and beautiful about every culture, and there's something nasty about every culture. And God's glory is so big, we need all of it. And, and it's important to note here that no ethnicity is monolithic. You tracking with me? Like, can, I'm just going to say, you know how many different whites there are? I mean, I don't think, I've never heard anybody say that out loud in a room. Like white culture, I'm like, what the heck's so like white German, white Irish, white Scots, the white Scots are crazy. Like you, white English, white Scots, get those together, see what happens. Like white ain't monolithic. It's just not. Neither is black culture or Latino culture or Asian culture. It's not monolithic. And there are all these beautiful things embedded that are going to come to light. But here's the thing. Right now, you and I are in the already but not yet. You tracking with me? Which means we've got this shot. Good Lord, church, we got a shot to move towards rejoicing in those things as we see them, as we find them, and as we can be gracious enough to one another to learn and practice. Like, I mean, I'm by the great, I've gotten to travel all over, man. I've been president of Acts 1-9 for a, a decade. I've seen things among people, and I'm trying to train my eyes to find what's beautiful. I'm trying to train my, and where I don't get it, I want to be curious. I want to be curious. I, I don't, like, if I'm not careful, I'm going to think my way's the way. My way's the way. Mm, a lot of cultures. Are you sure my way's the way? Maybe I'll like your way better. I don't know. I just got to try. And this is, where, this is where I might get in trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. This is why cultural appropriation arguments that are something other than either over-sexualized perversions or mocking is a culture trying to own something that's not theirs to own, that's been given to them by God for the glory of all the nations. So I'm telling you, that's the, see how few people clapped on that one? So I'm saying, you, it ain't yours. Now, it might have been entrusted to you, but it ain't yours. Like, if the end goal is all nations being blessed by what God has cultivated and given birth to in yours. You are an ambassador, not the owner. It ain't yours. Now, has God gifted it to you? Yes, embrace it, enjoy it, celebrate it. But then don't like get on to other people for touching it because it ain't yours to say that. It's, it's the Lord's to begin with. Again, this is where we're headed. This is where we're headed, man. Like, I'm pumped about this, and if you could get it, 
then application, I think, gets easy. I'm gonna go a little Baptist on you in here, man, and, and all that means is I'm gonna use alliteration. I know, like, the 40 different things, but like, what does he mean? Um, I'm just gonna use alliteration. That's not normally my style, but uh, I'm gonna use alliteration just as the application of what I'm talking about. If this is true, and, and it's true, then he, here's our ongoing sanctification. Learn, lament, and live. Learn. Gosh, this makes me insatiably curious. Insatiably curious. Like, why? What is that? I don't understand. It's not like, that's wrong, can't believe it. It's like, it immediately makes me curious. Like what, this could be in glory forever? This might be something God has for me? This might be something that God wants to use to expand my understanding and knowledge? This might, now I move towards. And not from a, a position of, my way's better, help me understand you're silly. No, it's like, whoa, is there something divine here? I know there is. Let me, let me find it. A change is my posture to one seeking understanding, not one trying to give something. Like, what, what is that? That is, like, tell me about that. Help me with that. We have an exploding American Indian population here. Man, I'm just deep diving. You can ask Din Mathai. I'm always like, hey, help me with this. What about this? How do you do this? What is this? I, I'm just hungry, man. I just need to know. Because I know my future. There are going to be a couple hundred million Indian brothers and sisters. And I think that garlic naan's going to be there. I ain't going to lie to you. I think that butter ticket's going to be there. Just saying. I'm just saying, not that Americanized version, the risky one, like the good one, right? Like I think it's coming. So I'm just trying to, what's good? What's right? What's beautiful? What can be celebrated? What do I need to grow in? What needs to challenge my worldview and move me into what God wants to show me? Like see what happens? So, so I'm committed. I'm in. That means I'm going to read a couple of books every year to help me understand. 90% of the time I disagree with tons in it because it's been shaded. This isn't the vision that our culture's lapping up right now. In fact, don't think I don't know right now. Some of you are really angry at me because you're putting words in my mouth that you've learned by watching trash and drinking. Like you think I'm woke all of a sudden. I ain't woke, I'm reading the book. Right, but I'm telling you, this is what happens. Like this subject makes everybody so nervous that if you talk about it, well, you're, well, now you're liberal, next thing you know, we're gonna be baptizing cats in here. And it's just not true. It's just a vision of where you're headed, whether you like it or not. And it's an opportunity right now to enjoy it before we get there, to grow in it and practice it before we're there. So I'm gonna read some stuff. I'm gonna watch some documentaries. I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna be curious, and I'm gonna ask for grace because I might ask a stupid question. And if you can't give me grace, then you probably just need to move on down the line. Find a less gracious group. Get angry together. I mean, I don't know why you're laughing if you don't see that everywhere in the church right now. I just refuse, man. I ain't getting angry. We learn, and then learning, learning. This is just sanctification, guys. Always leads to lament. Why? Because there's so much broken. We're so far away. I mean, we're so much closer, but we're so far away. And lament is the great gift of God that gives us a place to take our hurt, anger, and cynicism. Lament is that place we get to go and say, how long? How long? I don't think this is the default position of the Christian. I think the disposition of the Christian is future hope lived out in present reality, but that present reality is broken. And where that's the case, we lament. 
And lament can look like withdrawal for a season. Lament can look like a march. Lament can look like a prayer rally. But it's a lamenting the brokenness of the world and that we're so far from where God wants to get us eventually. And then we learn, we lament, and then let me do this. And then we live. Can we chat for a second? Life is so much harder and more complex than people want to make it. It just is. It's rarely simple. It's always messy. And the more people there are, the messier it gets. And, and so this idea of living is that as I need to learn somewhere, and, and the best place to learn and to lament is with others. And the way to do that is living together. I'm talking about in that same house, I'm talking about in the same community. That we need to lean into one another for these things. Become a safe container for this. As the world rages, as it thrashes, as it gives us categories that are outside of the biblical worldview, we reject it. Like, like I'm telling you, I'm going to celebrate cultures. I'm not appropriating it. I'm eager for it unleashed on all the nations. So you don't get to take that from me. I just say it's not yours to begin with. But man, that can make me a bigot in some circles. Gosh, I don't think I am. And the people that know me well don't, don't think I am, but... Life is complex and hard. And people are on these weird journeys with the Lord, always on time, never behind. And, and that journey, if, we're, if you're just honest about yours, there are things you were convinced of 10 years ago that you know right now are utter trash. Would I be stretching things to say maybe some things you're super convinced of right now don't fall into that category? Oh, I picked it up. I'm on. I'm on the phone. <laughs> so if that's true, our best shot, our best shot at sanctification of becoming a community that mirrors this as best we can in our area, my prayerful commitment, if God would be gracious, is that we would be a church that reflects our community. It just reflects our community. That's my earnest prayer. I'm asking the Lord to do it. I'm not trying to manipulate or manage him. I'm just saying, I see it. I see where you're taking us. Do some of that right now. As much as we can do in this area with where we help us, do something, work among us. Give us a heart for one another. Give us a commitment to one another. Give us a, because, look at me. I want to give you a chance to be honest before God and me. Let, let me set it up this way. We do, and I'm literally, the sermon's almost done, which is good for me. I'm proud of myself. I might be ruining it right now. Now, we do a survey with our staff, I think it's every couple of years, called Best Christian Workplaces. And what it is, is it's this anonymous survey to our staff where they can just say whatever they want. We can't track down who said it. Because we want to be a place where our, our staff flourishes. We want live time feedback with no fear, and, and so we give it. But here's what we don't do. You know who we don't give it to? Anybody who just got hired in the last few months. You know why? Because right now we shiny. I'm telling you right now, staff comes like, this is the best place ever. And we're like, no, all right, okay. Well, we're gonna, now, maybe you just started coming to the village. Maybe it's like, this is my dream church. I can't believe, and you kind of come in and we're just amazing. I, I'm just saying, give us some time. Like, like watch this. Uh, how many of you, and we'll, we'll just see what we got here. How many of you in the last year, 
have I offended by something I've said or done? You can get your hands up. You're not gonna bother me. Listen, I'm content in the Lord. A bunch of liars in this world. Well, you think the Lord's gonna, he knows. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm gonna let you down. And here's what I'll tell you. If you come up to me, like after a service, you find me in the community, you're like, so glad to be at the village. My last pastor didn't, I wasn't fed. He wasn't preaching the truth anymore. I literally will, in my mind, put you on the clock because 10 years from now, you'll be saying that about me to some other guy. Like I ain't nobody's savior. I can tell you that right now. And you will find that life together is difficult. You know what? Here, lean in. No, seriously, lean in. Because you're difficult. <laughs> like you're difficult. So our role then is to create a space where I'm willing to endure your difficulty because you're willing to endure mine. That's it. That's what the gospel does. It's reconciliation. It's redemption. It's I know I'm difficult. I know I am. I, my wife is nodding right now over to, she's like, he is. I don't even know. Was she saying that to a kid? Oh, that's Audrey. She knows too. Um, like, yeah, like people are hard. Man, do we need each other. Man, do we need each other. It's really hard to work this out without you. Like I need you and, and I need you to bother me sometimes. I just need the maturity to know my first play is to look in me before I start looking in you. Like what's happening in me that you bother me? Like, listen, we, we got a shot here, guys. The world's a mess. And here's my, my card. I'm in, I'm in with you. I ain't bailing, I ain't, I'm here. As long as the Lord says here and I got no indication I've got anything else except this is my run. And so I'm in with you and listen, you bother me. Like, and, I, and I'm gonna bother you and this is just where we are, but I'm in and I'm willing, come what may, to fight the good fight until all things have been made new. And this committed to be curious and learn. Lament when I see it's broken and commit to live with you even when you get up on my nerves and I get up on yours is a pathway of sanctification that will look so beautiful to a world so angry, just so angry and just having their anger stoked incessantly, their rage stirred up incessantly. And we need to be angry and injustice. But to be curious, to see you as the same, like, man, you ain't nothing but a sinner just like me. Saved by grace. It's like, you see how all of a sudden we're level now. Just, the, the foot in front of the cross is even, even. What an opportunity we have to move towards one another, to love one another, be curious about one another, rejoice in one another, eagerly look for the stuff that's probably going to be here for eons in the future. Yeah. If you're not a Christian, and you're like, okay, great. Here's the big umbrella message for you. Jesus fixes broken things. He heals wickedness and strife. He redeems and welcomes home the sinner. And the grace that's lavished on the church to heal global racism can rest on your life. Come on, man. You haven't outsend the grace of God. If he's working at that level, Think your collegiate promiscuity is a problem? 
You, you think your uh, uh, addiction to your kid's ADHD medicine is the, the issue? Listen, there's so much grace for you, so much life for you, so much hope for you. If he's, if he's working at that level, come on, man. If he's working at that level, he, he's working at the individual level. I don't know where the light spectrum is for you right now. Maybe you're in that season that I talked about earlier, just dark. Just feel a little bit betrayed by the Lord. Like you feel like he, he wasn't there when he said he was gonna be there. That's a real, I mean, I, I've been there. I was the pastor telling you I was there once. Or maybe you're in that kind of, it's the worst place to be, that sleepy place. You know what I'm talking about? It's just sleepy. It's just, I mean, yeah, there's a God. Yeah, but it's just kind of sleep. Not awake to the beauty and grace. Not awake and alive in worship. Not joyful in your daughtership or sonship. Just kind of sleepy. Or maybe, man, you just like, you hot, hot today, right? You're just in it. Bright light, so bright, you got to throw on your shades inside, like hot and bright. The good news is the gospel beckons us. Come, be redeemed, be healed, be made whole. doesn't mean anything gets easier overnight. In fact, my experience is that very few things got easier overnight. And still, 30 years in, hasn't got much easier. There's just someone there with me in the heart. This is where we're going. You cannot participate, you can fight against it, you cannot like it, but this is where we're going. Father, I bless these men and women in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask that you stir our affections for these things. Stir our affections. Man, even if somebody in here wants to say yes to you for the first time today, I just pray that have the courage. Just go, man, I need that kind of grace. The grace that's healing that and fixing that and bringing that back together, I want that in my life. And so I just pray that you would uh, stir up their hearts to surrender fully to you, that they might go to one of our prayer team members and say, hey, man, I, I want this grace in my life. They might even celebrate today via baptism their commitment to you. Help us. If you leave us on our own, we will drink the swill of our day and we'll be poisoned by it. Mark us with your joy. Mark us with future hope and let it strengthen us in this present darkness. Through your beautiful name I pray. Amen.